0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said,
1: enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way.
0: Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith Jones back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, it's Clemson week and we're excited. What do you think about that?
2: You know, and we'll talk about this. I'm sure some more. But if you'd have picked some date uh, before the season started and said that Florida State had any chance of staying with Clemson in Death Valley, uh, anybody would have thought you were crazy. But I'm I'm optimistic enough and and buying into that confidence enough that you know I think they've got a real chance. Uh, they just gotta they just gotta execute. But I think they've got a real chance.
0: The spread opened at 10, which I thought in light of. Two teams maybe going the opposite direction. It might be a little bit less than that, but it would have been 25 or 30 a few weeks ago, or maybe before the season, based on what we thought. So, uh, all things considered, we'll take it. Clemson has not scored many points at all. Hopefully, they don't go well this week, but they don't give up many points.
2: No, they I mean, don't. I'm,
0: I'm stating the obvious here, Keith. But this is not a game that you're going to win 40 to 35. I mean, this is going to be a this going to be old school like you, Keith. This is going to be a 1979 special.
2: This is the kind of games I like. You know, we saw a couple of those over the weekend. Uh, I, I don't know how you go nine overtimes and only score 38 points between two teams, but that happened too.
0: Well, this game could be 3-3 three, three going into overtime, and then we just play to infinity, right, when we get into yep. just trying two-point conversions? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if we got into overtime, but with Jordan Travis there, even though the Noles – now think about how far Florida State's come. FSU was, was horrendous in short yardage situation earlier this year, but I feel like they've done such a better job staying ahead of the chains. They figured out what they can and can't do. Now, I may think differently after seeing Clemson's defense attack it, but it's not the deficiency that I thought it was going to be all year compared to a month
3: ago.
2: Well, I think the, the biggest key, if you had to pick one thing uh, early on from the thought process is FSU cannot just run the ball offensively, they're going to have to get some production out of the passing game, whether that's in the pocket, whether that's rollout or otherwise. Um, And I think uh, if you can have some success through the air, uh, that's your best recipe uh, to hang in this ballgame. All you want to do is be close at the end of the third quarter and uh, then, then, you know, roll the dice and have a chance in quarter number four.
0: We will break this game down in uh, big detail with Patrick Burnham from the Osceola in our next segment. Then a young star on the Florida State volleyball team, Emory Dupes, will join us. That's coming up a little bit later on on Front Row Knowles. Most of the attention to the Clemson football matchup. Keith, here's one for you. If FSU could get this done, Clemson, if you haven't noticed over the last several years, has been riding a 10-game win uh, per season streak that started in 2011. And they continued it last year during covid and they're sitting at four wins right now with five regular season games and a bowl game to go, which means if FSU wins, that that 10-win season streak is officially over. Think about that one.
2: Well, the other part of that streak is, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Clemson has won 31 consecutive home games. Uh, so that's another thing to keep your eye on. Uh, it, it's
0: It's got some importance, and uh, I'm excited for it. Most importantly, this Florida State team has a chance to get to four and four and continue what's been a a really good pace and, and pattern and trajectory of late. We will talk more Florida State Clemson with Patrick Burnham. Stay with us. We are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: Florida State and Clemson this weekend and who better to break it all down than our Osceola insider Patrick Burnham. Hey Pat, how are you? I'm doing great guys, how about y'all? We are doing well. Pat joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together and Pat, I think most of us and I'm going to throw you in this camp even though I don't technically know if we'd have had this conversation on say July 24th or August 6th or August 30th, we probably would have not giving Florida State a great chance as they head to Clemson this weekend, but life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. And I'm not sure what's going on at Clemson, but all of a
3: sudden, we've got lots of optimism coming from these parts. Do you share that optimism? I do. I have uh, I have jumped back on the war wagon, uh, with everyone else, like everyone else has the, th- the last three weeks, and of course, uh, you know, there's some things that have to happen for Florida State. Uh, you know, Cle- this is a lot. Uh, closer, going to be a lot closer game than as you said than any of us thought coming into the preseason. Everyone thought Clemson was going to run rough shot over the ACC, and they are like most of the rest of the ACC playing for middle ground. And uh, you know, uh, I think Florida State's got a uh, got more than a puncher's chance in this game. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they match up. And uh, you know, as we were talking before we started tape- taping, this does not look like uh, a Clemson team that's. Depleted from talent, but it looks like a team that's not playing together and looks like they may have some chemistry issues. It's hard to tell from 500 miles away and not follow them on a daily basis, but something sure seems off. If you'd have gone back to those dates,
2: which I can't remember, Tom, and said that at the conclusion of the FSU Clemson game, both teams would be four and four. You probably would have been shocked on both sides.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, Clemson is last in the ACC in offense. Uh, I mean, whoever would have thought that in a million years? I mean, it's, uh, listen, and maybe it's just the fact that it's 2021 football season, but this football season as a whole seems kind of random and odd. I mean, you look at what happened in uh, – uh, wherever Penn State's located. I uh, can't remember the name of the town, but a nine-overtime game they lose to Illinois. I mean, it's just been a very strange football season. Then you put Clemson uh, really uh, fighting for his life right now, fighting for a bowl game like most of the rest of the ACC.
0: So let's just get this out of the way. I'm going to refer to the guy that's been the Clemson starting quarterback simply as DJ, and we'll call yep. it that. Uh, one of the things that's been noticeable, and, and so this week, and who would have thought this, that Clemson's the one who's playing the quarterback card close to their best. Like, which starter is it going to be, right? They, right. Because they may, they may make a change. We would have thought that would have been FSU that might play that card. So I, I go back. I can think about when Deshaun Watson was in his earlier years at Clemson. The, the get-out-of-jail-free card was that they would run him every time it was third and three or third and four. I mean, he would, it would be simple route combinations, kind of one side of the field type stuff. And if it wasn't there, he'd scramble and get the first down. And, they, and, and this is when Clemson was already in its playoff stages with, Desha- with Deshaun Watson. Why has DJ not run as much? Because it seems like that would be a way to get something out of your offense. And and, and yet he's not been really a running QB.
3: Well, you know, they were without the uh, scholarship backup quarterback for a little while. So I have, I have a feeling it would have to do with trying to keep DJ healthy. Uh, you know, listen, and I hope neither one of you own any, uh, stock in Coca-Cola because Dr. Pepper has been flat this year and I'm a little bit worried about nobody. I mean, could you talk about an NIL that has gone completely wrong? Uh, DJ, I can't remember his last name either, but anyway, yeah, uh, he has not thrown the ball very well. They're obviously not running the ball very well. I believe they're in 111th passing 85th rushing. uh, I, the only thing that makes sense, Tom uh, Tom McKeith is the fact that they don't want to get him hurt. They don't have anybody behind them they feel comfortable with. I'm wondering, too, I haven't studied them. Obviously, FSU did not play Clemson last
2: year uh, because of uh, COVID issues. But I'm wondering, too, if any, how much uh, Coach Scott leaving – remember, they had the dual offensive coordinators, with Coach Scott and Coach Elliott. And Coach Scott's now the head coach at USF. I'm wondering how much, if any – that might have impacted anything. I don't. I don't know. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have, you a, have a you have a guess? Well, I mean, obviously, Jeff is a is a very
3: bright offensive mind. He and uh, Tony Elliott were getting uh, you know just as much praise uh, two years ago as any two coaches in college football. Uh, but yeah, but you know, they were without Jeff last year and did fine. Uh, you know, obviously, it helps when you have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Atien and a host of others that are are not back this year. But certainly, uh, I think Jeff's uh, not being there is probably a part of it. But, you know, listen, uh, you lost two of the best players in college football and all of college football last year. Uh, you lost some offensive linemen and they're now playing in the pros. And, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, reload every year. I mean, it really is. I mean, you've, we've uh, you see it every, uh, you know, cons- uh, maintaining and sustaining that kind of success is hard. Uh, I don't think any of us saw it falling off like uh, it has, but certainly uh, staff continuity, communication may be different, uh, but certainly uh, they lost a wealth of talent, so I think it could be both.
0: Well, injuries certainly have been a factor, and and uh, even so, though, and they've had a bunch of guys go down. Uh, I, I don't have the totals in front of me, but I guarantee if you count up the healthy guys and you compare them to Florida State's healthy guys, it's still a much better roster at Clemson right now. But 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 all that said, I, I, to me, and Keith, you and I talked about this a lot in the offseason. I know that we've talked about it so much of late. Florida State's finally playing better than the sum of its parts, in my mind. That's a simple way to put it. And it's been a, a lot of years since you could say that. And And Clemson, conversely, is, is playing less than the sum of its parts, which is to say you got belief going on in Tallahassee right. and maybe a little bit lack of belief and lack of confidence in Clemson. And that's big. But I, what, what is the recipe? What does it look like in your mind, a, a Florida State chance, a Florida State win? How does, how does it have to play out?
3: Well, first of all, I think the one thing that you're not going to be able to do against this Clemson defense is be one dimensional. You're not just going to run the ball down Clemson's throat. Florida State is going to have to find a combination of consistency and big plays in the passing game. Uh, they will have to throw the ball twice as much, in my opinion, if they're going to win than they have the last two weeks. They've only thrown 23 passes in their last two games. So that's going to change. Right. I mean, somebody's got to step up, uh, whether it's Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton, whoever. Obviously, we think it's Jordan going in and don't even know if Mackenzie's going to play. But so the passing game is going to have to be a real threat and a, a real point of production. Uh, I don't think that I don't, you know, you got two very good defensive fronts in this game. I don't think either offense can just run the ball uh, and win the game. I don't think anyone, either side, either team can be one dimensional. Uh, So, you know, obviously it helps Florida State if you get Dylan Gibbons back, who left the game last year, uh, last week It's UMass. Uh, Devontae Love-Taylor did not play. He was dressed. So you got to think maybe he's coming back. Uh, I think having those two guys in the lineup also enhanced Florida State's chances. I like their chances with those two guys in the game a heck of a lot more than if they're not. And then I agree with what Adam Fuller said yesterday. Uh, you've got to come out early put pressure on uh, the quarterbacks at clemson keep their confidence keep them doubting themselves you cannot give them a glimmer of hope uh so i think you've got to get after them whether it's uh playing coverage and not allowing them open receivers or getting after the quarterback and putting pressure on them where he's throwing off time uh or getting them on the ground but you've got to those you've got to keep that offense doubting itself and right now there's no way it's not i mean they rank in the bottom of just about every key statistical category. And sometimes when you look at these stats, they don't match up with what you see on film, but with Clemson off on offense, they most definitely do. So uh, again, you're right. Florida state is playing team football right now. Clemson does not seem to be doing that. Uh, Florida state's team chemistry uh, seems to be better than we've seen it in a long, long time. Uh, all credit due to the staff on that. And these kids sticking together through a rough start to the season. So uh I think those are the things you got to do. You've got to find success in the passing game. Clemson's going to load the box and shut you down. If you, all you do is try to run it. Uh, I think you've got to be careful with how much you run Jordan, uh, to be quite honest with you. Uh, You know, he is uh, injury prone or getting nicked up prone. And he's obviously your most effective offensive weapon uh, outside of Corbin and uh, Treshawn Ward. So um, so I think they've got to be able to throw the ball with some kind of consistency and have some big plays in the pass game. Uh, and I think they've got to get after Clemson's quarterbacks and keep them doubting themselves.
2: Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Pat. The only other thing I would add is they've got to find some yardage in the kicking game. Yep. They can't be starting plays inside the 10. They can't be starting plays after Clemson scores inside the 20. Uh, They've got to get the ball out and and have an opportunity to operate.
3: Well, Keith, I don't know how you feel about it. Obviously, this is something that I'm assuming as coach at Florida State. One of the uh, negative takeaways I had from last week is you're you're fair catching the ball inside the 10-yard line. That's fine against UMass. Uh, but that's not going to work against some of the opponents they got left on this not schedule. At all. Not uh, at all. I know that the analytics probably tell them the fair catch it inside the 10. There is no difference between the five and the 10. And I guess it's only five yards, but I'd rather take a chance, let that ball go in the end zone and get on the 25. Uh, and then of course, you know, they come back and, They let another punt land on the 25 and roll to the five, and yet they have three return guys back there. Uh, But I agree with you. Uh, They're losing yardage that way in the special teams game, and they've got to be able to find a way to turn special teams into a positive yardage maker. And and let's ignore analytics for one game and just fair catch to kickoffs, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get the ball out to the 25. Yes. Well, the analytics,
0: KJ. There's always the asterisk, which is game flow, momentum. If you subscribe to that, just other factors in the game that don't show up in the analytics that have to impact some of those decisions. I think we I don't all have agree. A hard
2: enough time with the analytics. Don't throw
3: anything else in there, please. Hey, I've always said there's a time and place for analytics, uh, but probably more importantly, there's a time and place for awareness and what's going on in the game at a particular time. And uh, I think that sometimes that trumps analytics. Let's drill deeper
0: on this. Florida State can't be one-dimensional. We all agree. They got to throw the football. But when you look at what Jordan Travis has done, he's not thrown from the pocket a lot. He did against North Carolina. It's pretty much dialing up shot plays. So is it that they're dialing up more shot plays or are they running bootlegs? Are we going old school and we're seeing the waggle to the tight end? Uh, what, what you know? What kind of creativity, what what opportunities do you see that are going to be there? Because he's not going to all of a sudden stand back there and go through three progressions and, you
3: know, find the third receiver. No, but they are going to – now, listen, they're, they're going to have to take some – they're going to have, to have to drop back and take some shots. There's no doubt about that. They are going to have to be more efficient and productive and drop, in the drop-back pass game than they have been. Now, listen, they've done a great job with the tight end screen game, to, uh, Cam. I mean, that was a nice little wrinkle that they put in. And then you saw some personnel package or at least formations that at least in my mind, we have not seen a whole lot of, they kind of played that uh, there's two tight ends between the guard and tackle. You saw a little bit of that formation. So I think they're going to do some things off of that uh, misdirection. Cause you can uh, have one guy pulling one guy going out, but uh, yeah, I think they're going to do some things uh, that they probably haven't. They probably were, setting up some things in the UMass game formationally. Uh, we we'll to probably run some plays off of that. But listen, I think that, uh, you know, everything that they do in the past game, we all already know this is gonna be predicated off what they, if they're, their ability to run the ball. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, if they can have some early success running the ball and make Clemson honor the run, particularly the linebackers, then they can get some under, uh, uh, intermediate routes, crossers, uh, try to make those guys run across field, break the safeties, run across field. But I, I think that uh, it's all going to be predicated. that The success of the passing game will be predicated off the run game as it has been all year, but they are going to have to be able, in this game and games moving forward, drop back and throw the ball So,
0: Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. I'm trying to think of what else we should expect this weekend. Do you think it might be a little bit less raucous crowd than, than Clemson has typically had. It's not a night game. Their fans are kind of questioning things, too.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a whole – I think their fan base is going in with more questions uh, than they ever anticipated. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, – You know, I think our kids and our fan base is probably going in with a heck of a lot more confidence than they thought they would at the beginning of the year. But uh, listen, uh, it's going to be a Saturday afternoon game in the fall and uh, Clemson's got a good fan base. I I don't know if it'll be sold out, but I would imagine it'll be well attended. And uh, it is Florida State and it is the uh, has been uh, one of the best rivalries in the ACC. And uh, this game, because of where both teams are, will be a. uh, Will be a hotly, high, a highly, highly contested game. Uh, it'll be a lot more even than we thought it was, and uh, are coming into the season as we've talked about. But yeah, I think Clemson's people will be there, either to cheer their team or boo them.
2: <laughs> I think it'll be, I think it'll be low scoring too, and that means that every possession becomes that much more valuable.
3: Well, uh, yeah, and the other thing is, uh, yeah, you know, the thing I think Florida State's got to do against Clemson is you know, you want to shorten the game, right? I mean, we've seen that Florida State's defense plays better. We saw nine possessions against North Carolina, 14 against Louisville and um, Syracuse. Um, You want to let? I mean, you don't want to give Clemson any more chances with the football to find a way to get hot than you can not have to. So again, uh, I think part of it is keeping the ball away from them as hard Mm -hmm. as that's going to be against clemson's d now that is a tall task for the offense clemson is really good they're one of the hey, but listen they're they're one of the best third down defenses in football but their op- offense is one of the worst so uh, <laughs> win third down
0: <laughs> all right patrick burnham from the osceola we appreciate it sir enjoy the game this weekend
3: all right guys y'all have a great weekend and enjoyed it as always thank all you Pepper. Right, really continues right after this
1: be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Roll Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We'll bounce back to football here in a little bit, but we're going to move over to the Florida State Volleyball program, which is, I think, exceeding expectations for a young team thus far. They're 14 and 5 overall, 7 and 3 in the league, and we're joined by one of the young stars, Emery Dupes, who's on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Hey, Emery, how are you?
4: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Now, I'm going to start. So, your position uh it, it's spelled l-i-b-e-r-o and for people who follow volleyball they're very familiar with this I've called plenty of volleyball matches and I remember when they introduced this position but I still don't know do we say libero or libero and you play the position so I'm hoping you can shed some light on this for us
4: yeah I think that's kind of a controversial topic um that I've heard I've all actually always called it libero but I think that's more of like a younger generation term. I think that, like all of my older coaches, they always call it libero. So I think that's the right term, per se.
0: Well, you definitely uh, identified our generation. Keith and I are the older generation. So thanks for <laughs> hitting the nail on the head there, Emery. <laughs> Go ahead,
2: KJ. <laughs> I was just going to say the only thing I do is uh, my, my oldest granddaughter, Emery, uh, plays volleyball. Uh, She's in middle school. And uh, the only thing she's excited about is getting to the level where at least one of them has a different colored jersey on. That's her goal right
0: now as she moves up the ranks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. More than how we pronounce it, why don't you explain and Keith just identify that you wear a different colored jersey. What What is your role as a libero or libero, tomato, tomato?
4: So the term libero is the technically the best defender on the team. I am the person in the different colored Jersey and I am defending the back row, trying to keep the ball up. So to give my team a chance to be able to put the ball down on the other side of the net, I'm um, just the defense side of volleyball and I can't hit the ball um, but that's
0: pretty much it. Yeah. So you're, you're digging, digging balls out of the back row and not attacking the net. What do yeah. you like about, about how this team has played thus far? I know it's a young team. You just come on, came off, uh, uh, you know, another two matches, uh, uh, two victories on the road this past weekend. So you guys have been playing well.
4: Yeah, I think we've been playing really well. Um, I think we've had to come, um, overcome a little bit of adversity, um, We're a younger team and we're a smaller team this season, but I don't think that defines us at all. I think we've played really well together and we've developed our connection um, from the first game till now. And I think it just continues to grow and the way we play together continues to get better. Um, We have a lot of talented players on the team and um, I think we have played well together um, pretty much so far till now. And I think that if we continue to grow how we are, I think we'll do really well um, in the rest of the season, too.
2: Emory, by my count, you come into Florida State as probably one of the more decorated high school players. Uh, I uh, would remind our listeners of some things uh, that go into your accolades. thousand and six career digs at Walton High School. Uh, the one thing that jumped out at me, I don't want to bring up bad things, But by my account, uh, you were state champion as a freshman and then repeated as a sophomore and then repeated as a junior and then went undefeated. And you finished your career with about 138 wins but only one loss. And that happened to be in the finals of your season. 138 wins and one loss in a four-year career. How in the world does that happen?
4: Yeah. I mean, Walton was some of the best volleyball that I've played when I first came in as a freshman and I was starting as libero for Walton as a freshman. We were the number one team in the nation at the time. And we had every person on the team committed to big schools like Ohio State and all of these top brand schools um, for volleyball. And the coach, um, Suzanne Fitzgerald, she's one of the best coaches that I've had so far. And um, she really just worked us as hard as we could. But when we got on the court, we knew that every practice that we were sweating and running for hours and hours, we knew that when we got on the court that we worked our hardest and we had we had every, all, everything in our toolbox to use for the game. It was all provided for us. And when... I got to my senior year. um, We had to face a little bit of adversity. We had um, lost a huge senior class and um, eight players left. And it was, I think it was five starters left. So we had to face that and we had to get through that. I think we had a great season um, leading up to the state finals, but in that last game, it was a tough match for us. We were facing a tough opponent and, um, it just got to us in that game, but I think we had a great season, and I loved my four years playing at Walton.
0: That, that was Keith who asked you about the one loss, Emory, by the way, just so we can straighten that out for the record. Nice job, KJ. Let's talk about the Florida State team as we're talking with Emory Dupes from the Florida State Volleyball Program. Uh, I mentioned it's a young team, six freshmen, uh, uh, part of the core of this team, and I think that's the youngest FSU's been since the late 90s. And yet you've got a coach who over the weekend just won his 200th ACC volleyball match faster than any other volleyball coach in the history of the ACC. So Chris Poole has been doing some things for a while. For those who don't know, how would you describe his style, his personality, his, his coaching acumen?
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's no denying that um, CP is a great coach and he truly cares about all of his players. Um And you can tell that when he's coaching, Um, all of our coaches, Jordana and um, Jeff included, they all prepare us really well for each opponent that we're facing um, just by putting in hours of scouting and just getting us prepared and ready for each um, opponent that we're going to face that so that we know there's no challenge that we can't overcome.
2: Now, Tommy, you're going to be fussing at me because I'm asking her these questions. But you got to know one thing: Emery and I are we're we're almost blood related because <laughs> her favorite go-to food is watermelon, and I grew up growing really? them all of watermelons. Oh, so we, so finally, we're, I found my watermelon lover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So take that, Mister Block.
0: All right, noted, noted. <laughs> Emery, let me ask you this. Uh, I have met your your dad over the years. Now, it's been a while, uh, but some people would recognize his face, but he's been the Nike rep for Florida State, which has been a Nike school. Yeah. I think I read for 25 years. So for your whole life, your dad's been the Nike rep for FSU. Yeah. So I'm just curious, did you have anything in your closet growing up or dresser that didn't have a Nike swoosh on it?
4: Oh, no. Uh-uh. I, and even, um, you know, girls, they like Lululemon. I'm actually wearing Lululemon right now. Don't tell my dad, but, and that is the only thing I can buy with my own money. But if not, I can't, no Adidas has ever been on my body at all. Um, no Under Armour, nothing. Lululemon is the only one and I have to buy it with my own money. And, um, other than that, no, I've never worn, worn any other athletic gear besides Nike.
0: It sounds like you had to write a contract with your dad and put that in yeah, the pretty much.
4: Red. No, but no complaining though. No complaining. I love Nike.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And I imagine. So is it true? Like, you know, when the family goes on an outing, is everybody just all Nike'd up? Is that the way it's rolled for oh, your whole yeah.
4: life? That's the way it's always been. And I'm not complaining about it. I love Nike gear. and It looks great.
0: I think most of us would take the hook up on Nike. Keith, you're oh, smirking. Yeah. You're smirking. Well, I,
2: I was just going to say, Mary, this if you get an opportunity, you mentioned this to your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wore a pair of Nike um, shoes when we played. It was either at LSU in a, in a junior varsity game or when we played at Nebraska. And it was the old waffle shoe, which was what Nike used originally. They actually took the pattern of the shoe um, Mr. Knight took it from a waffle iron. And I wore a pair of the old waffle shoes. Interesting. I don't know. if okay. I don't know if your dad will remember that. Or I don't know if it means anything to him. But you mentioned that to him because you talked to somebody old enough
0: to know what a waffle shoe is. Waffle shoe.
4: Okay, I'll mention it. I'm sure he will know.
0: And if you can't find anybody old enough, you can always talk again to KJ. We'll set that up for you, Emery Dupes <laughs> from the FSU volleyball team. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good luck this weekend. You got a couple home matches this weekend: BC and Syracuse. And uh, I, I know Tully can be a great atmosphere when you it, it gets loud in there and, and people are proud as they should be because there's a, there's a great Florida State volleyball history and heritage. So uh, good luck this weekend and the rest of your your freshman year and your FSU career.
4: Thank you. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, right. Emery. And,
0: And we'll send you our address so your dad can send some Nike gear our way. Front Row Knowles continues right after this.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ back with you, and we'll bounce over to football in a minute. Keith, you know, just to, to finish up that story, uh, there's probably worse lots in life than having your dad be at the Nike rep for a major Division I athletics power. I mean, she's, she's probably had quite a bit of free swag over the years, and now she gets it as a Florida State volleyball player, too. That's not a, that's not a bad gig.
2: But as is, it, is the case, appropriately, uh, particularly on the female side, youngsters today always want to have one little carve out, one little thing that they do on their own. Uh, so I, I thought that was real cute that he/she made sure and mentioned that uh, the Lulu stuff she purchased with her own money; she didn't use any of Dad's money to do that.
0: <laughs> so true story in uh, in my household, Keith. Just as long as we're on to Nike, and I think people listening to this show would get the big business of college athletics. To the point that you're not going to show up on the sideline wearing Under Armour if you're at a Nike school or Adidas, which is what she articulated. And a matter of fact, as I think about it, I think Trey Fisher got in some trouble at one point because he had something Under Armour on the sideline when Jimbo was coaching. Anyway, bringing it closer to home, my wife got me a nice garnet pullover to wear on the sideline. And I opened it up and I said, Huh, this is great, but it's under armor. What do you think the odds are that as a member of the radio crew, I'm going to travel with the team and wear this on the sideline. And and she looked at me and said, what's that got to do with any?" No, she didn't really, she understands athletics, but the point is, while I have worn it, I have not worn it when officially on team duty, so to speak. <laughs> Understood. Understood.
2: I may have an item or two, but I just, uh, I got to the point over the years where I just uh, didn't even go looking at anything else. So I had no, uh, I had no cravings flung on me. I just wanted to. I wanted to swoosh stuff. That was what was important.
0: <laughs> All right. So Florida State and its swoosh will head to Clemson this weekend. Let, let's go back to that, Keith, because uh, there is a scenario where Florida State doesn't play very well this weekend because Clemson's pretty damn good. I know their offense has struggled. They may switch quarterbacks. They may find themselves. Even if they don't, they may score twenty-four points and Florida State scores seven. And on the one hand, that's better than we probably would have expected in July or August. On the other hand, it feels like that would derail the progress they've made of late. So, uh, you know, trying not to be the homers that we are, how, how do you think this will play out? What, How realistic do you think Florida State's chances are?
2: I think the, the chances are realistic. By no means am I suggesting that I'm going to wager uh, any significant money on it. But but here's the thing, Tommy. The the goal early in the season, and they accomplished it against Notre Dame, but not against Jacksonville State, they have accomplished it over the last couple of three weeks, is the optics that are involved. What you don't want to do is go up there and get beat 45 to 14 or 49 to 14, however much they lost last time they were up there. You want to make sure you stay in the ball game. You want to make sure you don't commit the silly mistakes and turn the ball over. You want to make sure that you play fundamentally sound, that you, you stick with the game plan. In other words, you want to continue the progress. If that means that you end up losing 24 to seven or 24 to 14, that's fine in my book. As long as you executed what you practice and what you intended to do. It's the outliers, both uh, negative and positive. You know, I, I don't think it does Florida State any good if they go up there and somehow won 49 to 14. I don't think that, uh, that, that would be a fluke. That would not be continued progress. You want to make sure you stick to what you've been doing and execute it correctly.
0: Hold on, Keith. I would take a 49 to 14 fluke that went in Florida state's favor just for the record. I didn't
2: say I wouldn't take it. I would say that wouldn't accomplish much. I mean, it it, it wouldn't, the players would go, the pendulum would go so far back the other way that you would lose all the continuity that you've developed over the last three weeks. That's my opinion. Gotcha. You follow me?
0: Gotcha. Well, in other words, did you might be a little too big for your britches if you won by that score right now correct Uh, we saw that after Notre Dame everybody was all excited about the progress in Notre Dame and then forgot to show up the next Saturday right against Jacksonville State
2: that's exactly what I'm saying
0: yeah I I got you now hey the basketball team the men's team is in action uh, tomorrow night a Thursday night game exhibition game seven o'clock at the Tucker Center did you happen to notice what Scotty Barnes did the other night by the way
2: uh, uh, he had uh, back-to-back double-doubles or either a double-double or a triple-double, something, he, he went off is what
0: he did. His second career game, he, he led the Raptors in points and rebounds in his second career game. Now, he's had too many turnovers and he has hit a couple threes and his free throw shooting has been better than it was at FSU. I think he's been around 70% to start his career instead of 60%, but they seem to be enamored with him. And for a guy that young in his career, I mean, I've already, if you follow the NBA experts, they're already, he's on the shortlist for NBA Rookie of the Year a week and a half into his NBA career. That's where Scotty Barnes is right now.
2: Well, we knew he was an exceptional talent. And more importantly, you know, Coach Ham and, and Coach Jones and, and CY and everybody, Coach Smith, just raved on his work ethic and his attitude. And boy, you can go, I mean, he is gifted. There, there's no question he is gifted. But taking that gift, and maximizing it, uh, he has as good a prospect of doing that as is anybody that's come through this program.
0: Let's switch gears here real quick, Keith. Did did you see the email earlier this week that came out from the ACC about the committee they've got that's working on relocating the league headquarters?
2: I think they decided. You know, I don't. You know, Greensboro is nice, but let's see what else is out there. Was that how you read
0: that? Exactly. Well. So here's some parameters. Let's just make the decision now. The, the committee they have looking at this has decided that they're going to keep the ACC headquarters in the Eastern time zone, uh, population size with positive growth trends. In other words, the city's getting bigger, not smaller, uh, large hub airport. So we've ruled out Tallahassee here uh, with accessibility to and from all ACC member schools, Financial considerations related to operational expenses, blah, blah, blah. So so what city should we suggest? We got the whole Eastern Seaboard basically. It's going to be two cities. It's going to be Charlotte or Atlanta. Next question. I think DC's in the mix too, but you've narrowed it down. So you think there's going to be pressure to stay in Charlotte? I think there will be some, yes. Yeah. And and I technically
2: and honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I think I think Atlanta would score very much higher than than Washington, DC.
0: And I don't know that Atlanta would make the final list because the SEC seems to own Atlanta with its championship game every year. But it's certainly a major hub airport, and there is a an ACC institution in that city in Georgia Tech, pretty close to downtown as a matter of fact. Uh, well, if it's, I have said for years, Keith, you know this. if you're gonna if you're gonna do the ACC stuff in North Carolina, let's get it to Charlotte. And to be fair, they did put the baseball tournament in Charlotte last year, and again this year, which is where it should have been. Instead, all those years they've been alternating Durham and Greensboro.
1: It's
2: where, the, it's where the football championship game is played. I know from a basketball standpoint, I still support moving it around, uh, but that doesn't mean that every other year it's in Greensboro. Uh, but I think Charlotte is your number one. You know, without knowing any of the parameters, my pick would be Charlotte one, Atlanta two, D.C. would
0: be down on the list. And would Wildwood be in the running or no?
2: Wildwood would not be in the running because the combined square footage of available office space of all the buildings in Wildwood would not be enough for the ACC office.
0: How about Orlando, Keith? They could put the league headquarters right between their two favorite member institutions, Miami and Florida State. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, you know, as crazy as it sounds you know, it, there's nothing that says you have to be in a city where you have a member institution. This is the conference office. Uh, and this is not the old days. So, you know, uh, Orlando's not on
0: my radar, but I, again, wouldn't shock me if it was considered. It would shock me if it landed there though. All right. Back to the question that we hope we don't have to address. I asked you this on Sunday, but now a couple of days later. So we've got three minutes to go in the third quarter Saturday. Florida State's trailing 13 to 10, and suddenly Jordan Travis is not available for the next drive. And as you look and coming out of the huddle from the TV timeout, is it Mackenzie Milton or Chubba Purdy who's trotting on the field with the rest of the offense?
2: In that given situation, it's Mackenzie Milton.
0: Well, thanks for following my big buildup with a really succinct, boring, short, non explosive answer there.
2: Well, we talked about it, and I said, Only time you use McKenzie is when the game's on the line and you need that experience. Otherwise you've got to go with Purdy. If you're up by three touchdowns or down by three touchdowns,
0: you go with Purdy. If you're up by three touchdowns at Clemson, uh, I might still go with Milton and just make sure that we get the job done, but I hear you. I hear you. All that said, hopefully Jordan continues to stay healthy. It's fun to watch him play. Keep her out of time. Somehow we have, uh, enlighten people through another 60 minutes of their week he's Keith,
2: or or we fold them again whichever way
0: yeah and i'm tom thanks for tuning in to front row Knowles.